hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sandy Marks. Like I'm starting to see colors and I feel like I took Hawaska. Is that how you say it? Hiawaska. Hiawatha or Hawaska? You know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. That and more. But first, folks, I'm doing something totally ridiculous for pure fun. I'm hosting an interactive online viewing of The Big Lebowski via Sidestream.com. I will be on screen alongside the movie, riffing on trivia and interacting with you guys in the text chat and having something like a mystery science theater sort of fun time with one of the best comedies ever, The Big Lebowski. You just go to bit.ly slash kevdude. It's Thursday, May 20th at 9.15 Eastern. The movie itself will start at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Again, you go to bit.ly slash kevdude. And speaking of shows happening in May, the next Risk live stream show is on Friday, May 14th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Our last one was sold out, so you might want to get on that. Tickets for the May 14th Risk live stream are at risk-show.com slash tour. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. 
you collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is hip-hop instrumentals behind me. I don't understand how this thing was labeled. Anyway, welcome. We are calling this week's episode Thunderbolts. These are three very fun stories where people are hit with uh, surprises, as so often happens in stories. You know, I had the most interesting conversation with someone recently where he was saying, you know, I'm afraid to share a story with risk, but it's because I'm afraid people will think I'm crazy. His particular story is about something that happened when he was so young that he's afraid people will be like, nah, dude, how could you access enough of memory to to make all that out of it, right? And I really encouraged him because I said, hey, listen, people walk around with things that mean a lot to them that they don't share. And part of the reason sometimes is that they think other people will think they're crazy. It might have been an absolutely bizarre dream that they had, or an actual vision, a hallucination, or some sort of coincidence which was so ridiculous that it makes it sound like a paranormal sort of activity. But, you know, weird shit does happen where it's not just that, oh, it was kinky or it was violent or something like that, but we're like... All right, here goes. I'm going to share this thing with you that, I don't know, it kind of looms large in my consciousness, but I feel a little weird sharing it because, I don't know, it was kind of a religious experience and I can't explain it scientifically or whatever it might be. Or in this fella's case, something that happened you know, before most of us have any memory, but he still feels really powerfully that this meaningful thing happened to him. It, 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 it's, it has meaning for him. And so I, I really want to encourage people, don't let that kind of thinking stop you from pitching us either. There's all sorts of helpful tips on how to pitch us on the submissions page 
at risk-show.com. All right, let's jump into the stories in a little bit. We're going to hear from Mark Abbott returning to the show. But before that, another favorite of ours returning to the show, Drew Prohaska. Now, Drew has an incredible show called The Artichoke. It's in Beacon, New York, but they're doing shows online as well. And the next one is on May 8th. So be sure to check out artichokeshow.com to find out more. And here is Drew Prohaska now at a recent Risk live stream telling a story we call Something Adults Do. So 10 years ago, I'm in my first adult relationship like we're living together you know like i think it's an adult relationship but my girlfriend keeps saying things to me like i only date men i don't date little boys and she would say these things to my face when she would find me sitting in my star wars underpants watching cartoons on my xbox you know um i don't have an xbox anymore you know it's broken but um we have a lot of problems in our relationship and like both of us like we kind of have like one foot out the door you know and i'm at this stage of the relationship where i'm like thinking like i love this person i love this person but do i love her as much as i love battlestar galactica you know <laughs> and, and 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 like things are really rocky but i really have this need for her to look at me like i'm a man you know one day i check the mail and there's a there's a jury duty summons in the mail. And I look at it and I get really excited because this is something adults do, you know, uh, they go to jury duty, you know? So I'm like, okay, this is great. Like this is a manly thing. I'd never been before. So I go down to downtown Brooklyn to the Supreme court building in downtown Brooklyn. And, you know, I go through the security gate and I don't know if you've ever been before, but it, the security is insane. They got metal detectors and x-ray machines and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but you know, it's really exciting. And, and I, I, you know, I take the elevator up to whatever floor and I'm in this courtroom and it's just like the movies, you know, there's this salty old judge in this black robe, you know, and there's this slimy, like uh, criminal defense attorney who looks just like Jeremy Piven, you know, <laughs> and, and like right off the bat, um, they tell us the case that we're selecting the jury for, it might have you in here for seven days to a month. And it is fucking pandemonium. Like people are going nuts, you know, like papers are flying around and, and like people are panicking. They look, they're claiming like they have sick relatives. They have work emergencies. They have vacations planned. You know, brand new viruses are being engineered in this room for the whole purpose of avoiding public service. But me, I don't say anything. I just sit there on the bench, like without saying a word, because at the end of the bench that I am sitting on, like a curly haired angel, is Felicity herself, the actress, Carrie Russell. <gasps> and I've had a crush on Carrie Russell my whole life. And I was, I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh my God, like I get to be in a real life courtroom drama with America's sweetheart, like me, like a poor immigrant boy. <laughs> I'm from Canada, and and, 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 like, and like and like I'm thinking, oh my god, like like what if we're like sequestered together? And I'm like I'm like having all these fantasies about like me and you know. Uh, first of all, like I I I know that she's married with children, 
I know this because I googled it immediately, but like, like I'm having all these fantasies about like me and her, like, you know, uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin-esque feats with my food in the cafeteria for her, you know? And I'm gonna tell her how much I loved her in that movie, The Waitress, which I've never seen, and I probably never will. And to top it all off, like, would we have to like snore through some like boring, like drawn out civil suit? No. As luck would have it, this was a case in which a man stabbed another man nine times. Like, could the day get any better, you know? So so we took a, a break for lunch and I go into downtown Brooklyn and I'm just, I'm so excited, you know? And I, I, I go to this restaurant and I just, I just shove a falafel in my face, but like in my head, it's just like this Herman and the Hermits like music montage of like me and Carrie Russell like palling around, you know? And like my girlfriend calling me immature and I, I'm like, I, I, I'm immature. Like I'm going to a party tonight with Hollywood actress Carrie Russell, like nanny nanny boo boo, you know? And so like I finished my falafel and I get up and I go back to the courtroom. I get in the security line and I realize that two people in front of me is Carrie Russell. So like I'm thinking, oh my God, like I have to say something. Like I, I, she, she played an NYU student on Felicity. I, I was an NYU student. Like, like, like what am I, what am I, what am I gonna say? Like, you know, like I couldn't ask her about that show, The Americans, because it hadn't been on yet. You know, but like, you know, I'm just gonna say something. I got, I got I, it can't be stupid. I gotta say something. You know, and we, we start getting closer and closer to that metal detector. And, and, and you know, Carrie Russell goes through the metal detector and, and you know, I'm just thinking, okay, 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 what am I gonna say? And I, I put my laptop bag on the little conveyor belt and the person in front of me goes through, and I'm always nervous going through these metal detectors, you know? So I just start psyching myself up. <laughs> and I walk through the metal detector, and nothing happens, you know? And, and, and Carrie Russell, she has stopped to talk to a fan. And I'm thinking, okay, Drew, this is your moment. This is your moment. Like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna say? What are you gonna say? What are you gonna say? And then somebody yells, stop that man! And then two security guards grab me by either arm. And this is when Carrie Russell sees me for the first time. <laughs> And just for a fleeting moment, we shared this look of just horror and confusion, you know? And as I am dragged to, <laughs> to the uh, uh, side of the uh, metal detector, where's this um, African-American woman who is pointing at a monitor and she's saying, what is that? And I look up at the monitor and in the middle of the screen is the, the black silhouette of my laptop bag, in the center of which is a shape that any 12-year-old boy or sewer-dwelling martial artist turtle would recognize. It's a ninja throwing star. <laughs> and the, the woman, she, she looks at me and she goes, what is that? Is that a weapon? And I said, it's a ninja throwing star. And she said, why, son? Why would you bring a ninja throwing star into a New York State Supreme Court building? Which is a really hard question to answer. <laughs> like, couldn't I just be fucking stupid, you know? Like, clearly, clearly, I am an assassin for the Japanese mafia, and I was gonna throw it in the forehead of a star witness in the most awesome and nerdy courtroom assassination of all time. Right, but that's not the case. But by the way, I had flown with that in my bag like four times, right? But anyway, this, here's the reason why it was in my bag. This is the reason I had a ninja throwing star in my bag. It's because I had a friend who was turning 40, and so I had bought him <laughs> The traditional gift that you buy somebody who is turning 40 when you're high and on eBay, which of course is 
weird German pornography and ninja throwing stars, you know? So, but then it turned out that he was going through this like really like difficult divorce. So I was like, you know what? I'll keep the weapons and I just gave him the porn, you know? But I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there stammering, like trying to like figure out like how to, how to tell this woman this thing. And, 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 she, and she's just looking at me and, she, and she's going, what is wrong with you, son? And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And she's like, how old are you? And I go, I'm 35. And she said, Jesus Christ. And I said, I know. <laughs> and all of the people in the lobby just laughed at me. And I went home that evening and my girlfriend said, Drew, you are a child. <laughs> and the sad thing is that Carrie Russell didn't get picked for jury duty, but I did <laughs> as an alternate. So which meant I wasn't even going to get to deliberate, you know? So I had to show up at the courtroom every day and I had to watch this grainy security camera footage of this guy getting stabbed over and over again. And I didn't even get a say in it, you know? And, and it's really boring, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't get a person's life in your hands, you know? And, and I'm a monster, I don't care. And like the worst part is that I had to walk through that security check every morning for 10 days and I had to hear, you better watch yourself now, Ninja Star. <laughs> or the shredder's gonna get you. <laughs> so, there's an epilogue, I'm sorry. Six months later, I am sitting in my kitchen and I have my laptop open and I'm looking at Google News and there's a, a news item catches my eye. This is 10 years ago. Steve Jobs, father of Apple computers and by some accounts, an adult. He is stopped by security at Narita Airport in Japan because they found on his person a ninja throwing star. <laughs> so I picked up my laptop and I, and I walked into the bedroom where my girlfriend was sitting there reading a book and I just plopped it in her lap and I went, ha 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 and I spent the next several years single. Thank you. <laughs> I have an audience. <laughs> Drew Prohaska, everyone! See, I grew up in a house where I was led to believe that my parents didn't ever do anything wrong when they were growing up. You know, parents have a way of painting this picture that they never did the things that we dared to do when we were young. And so we were set to a higher standard. And nothing irked my mother more than cursing. Now, she would lead you to believe that she never cursed. Other than the word damn, we never actually heard my mother use any really true foul language. But let me 
get caught using any words where F word or the S word, oh, best believe the punishment was not going to fit the crime. I was going to be in the house for two weeks straight on punishment. And I was led to believe as I got older that this was a thing, that she would never, ever utter a curse word. And that perception changed my freshman year in college. It was the last day of freshman orientation and all the students have gathered together in the auditorium to hear the provost give the final speech of the week. And my parents were leaving that next day and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to my roommate. I've got some new friends that I've made, but most importantly, I'm now talking to the girls. And there's a whole group of girls sitting in front of us and we're just chatting away and getting to know each other. Some people are passing numbers back and forth. And I look over and I see my mother coming up the aisle with my father in tow. And I wave to her and she sees me and she comes marching up the aisle and she squeezes her way into the row where I am. And she goes, listen, I just want to let you know that your father and I are leaving, pulling out tomorrow morning. So if you need anything, contact the hotel where we're staying. Other than that, I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. Have a good year. Do your work. Listen to your teachers. And for God's sake, if you plan on fucking somebody, make sure you put on a condom. You have to understand, at that moment, I look around. The girls are mortified. Any other women within a five-foot radius of that are all looking to find out who this person is. And now we need to keep an eye out for him because he's the busy one. My roommate looked more embarrassed than I did. And my friends are just like, wow. I don't even know what to say to that. And all I could do is sulk because I just felt all the energy go out of my body and I just stared at her and I'm thinking now you decide you want to use adult language and all I could say in the most embarrassing moment of my life was thanks mom I will This is Pretenders behind me now. And we just heard from Mark Abbott, who can be found on Twitter at WhoIsMarkAbbott. And before Mark, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. 
Folks, thestorystudio.org is where you will find so many storytelling training opportunities, like our two-day live online group storytelling for business workshop on May 15th and 16th with Brad Lawrence. And the Story Studio teaches corporate workshops too for businesses. We have actually quite a lot happening lately with our corporate workshops. Very exciting. Businesses love the way that our particular workshops are taught. We give people step-by-step guidelines for how to workshop and present a story. And people are constantly telling us, oh my God, the other workshops we've taken on communication skills or, or even, you know, with the exact same sort of title as your workshop, Storytelling for Business, they were so general and vague that we were left wondering what to do. Well, not with the storystudio.org. So get on over there. And the latest bit of Patreon bonus content will be a check-in for me. I know I've been promising it, and then I kind of felt like I recorded something and felt like, is this too personal? And then I thought, all right, no, what, 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 nothing's too personal. Take a risk. So <laughs> there's lots and lots of bonus content at patreon.com slash risk. Your donations are very, very needed to keep this show going. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from the one and only Sandy Marks. This was recorded in Los Angeles in 2019 uh, in a theater full of people. We were at a theater in L.A. for a while that was very noisy, very distracting. But Sandy just knocks it out of the park nevertheless. You can find Sandy on Twitter at Sandy Marks. And here she is now with a story we call Shit Happens. everybody. Hi. All right. So I woke up on a Tuesday and it was right before this past Thanksgiving and I just felt so crappy. I mean, super sick. I had a stomach ache, a backache, I had a fever, but I had been ignoring it because I basically felt that shitty for like two weeks and I thought, eh, because clearly this wasn't a new thing for me because I've been feeling like crap for 20 years, at least 20 years because that's when I was diagnosed with lupus, which isn't really a big deal, it's just an autoimmune disease, but when you have one of those, and I'm sure someone out here does, you know, it's always something, either a rash, your stomach hurts, you have a headache, you know, there's a wheel always falling off somewhere, and you just put the wheel back on, and I have this, this very bloated image of myself, because I think I'm important, and I have places to be and things to do. Like in my head, and I'm not proud of this, but if you, like my inner voice is like, I can't get sick, because I'm Sandy fucking Marks, okay? Like, that's, that's kind of how I see myself. 
it's, I'm an idiot, but that's okay. So I ignore it. But okay, so on this particular morning, what I do is I get up and I go to the bathroom, I kind of stagger in there, and as soon as I get in the bathroom, I look at myself in the mirror and I see my skin. It's not yellow, per se. It's more like, um, it's like khaki. You know, it's like, it's like a really bad Crayola color that the kids never fight over. It's just, and my eyes are super muddy and I look really shitty and I don't feel well, so I sit on the toilet and as I'm sitting on the toilet, I start passing out. I got my sweatpants on my ankles, I'm fainting, but I'm Sandy fucking Marks, and this isn't gonna happen on my dime. Plus, I'm a mother, so like I tell my kids all the time, if you ever feel like you're gonna faint, you put your head between your knees. So I'm taking my own advice, and I'm also thinking, I am not going out like Elvis Presley. It's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna be found by our doorman who's gonna have to come up and remove me with my, you know, underalls down by my ankles. It's, okay, so what happens is, I decide I better figure out the next step. I'm alive, I'm on the toilet, I'm breathing. So I do what every responsible adult does in a situation. I Google my symptoms, right? I mean, it's responsible, this is what you're supposed to do. Because I know, once I know what it is, we'll fix it. Because Thanksgiving is two days away, and those gourds and cornucopias are not gonna shop for themselves to be put on my table. So I look at, I look it up, my stomach ache, backache, headache, I look yellow-ish, brown, and I have one of two things based on WebMD, and they know everything, right? I mean, of course. So I either have gallstones, or I have this thing called diverticulitis, and I'm thinking, these are the kind of diseases like some mad king in the 18th century would have, like from overeating mutton, and he'd be like running around in the castle with white tights on. It's like, it's not something like a Jewy girl in Westchester should have. But I'm figuring this is it, and I will go to my doctor, he will prescribe an antibiotic or something, and I can go to Whole Foods, finish my order, get the things, everybody's coming over. Okay, so I call my doctor, he says, come on in right away. Now meanwhile, I live in Westchester, but because I'm an asshole, all of my doctors are on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, between like 68th and 75th Street, and they're all Jews like me, because I'm under this impression that to be a really good doctor in New York, you have to be on the Upper East Side with a name like Feinstein, Goldstein, Weinstein, whatever, and that they're all like friends in some sort of, I don't know, club, and they all talk to each other and discuss the cases. So I decide, because I figure I have this, I'm gonna get in my car, which I do, and I drive for 40 minutes in traffic to the city to see the doctor. And I'm really sick, I'm running a fever, I'm delirious, I'm thinking of Mama Cass and Elvis Presley and all the people before me, and what is gonna, how will this end? And I get to the doctor and he looks at me and he says, you know what, I think you're right. It could be one of those things. And I'm thinking, this is a forward-thinking doctor. He's not telling me I'm an idiot for trying to look it up. So he says, you're gonna go over to Lenox Hill Hospital to the emergency room. I'm gonna call Dr. Greenberg. He's gonna meet you there. I don't know who Dr. Greenberg is, but he's a Jew and he's obviously in the neighborhood. So I figure he's gonna fix me and fix me quickly. So I go, great. Okay, so I hobble over to the hospital. It's like eight blocks, I get there. I'm really like, I'm starting to see colors and I feel like I took Hawaska. Is that how you say it? Hiawaska. Hiawatha or Hawaska? You know what I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So I get to the emergency room. So I get there and there's a woman who's sitting as the security guard in front of the Lenox Hill you know, hospital area and I run up to her and I say, hi, 
I'm here for Dr. Greenberg. I was told to go to the emergency room and she gives me the look and you all know the look because you've either given it or you've gotten it where she wants desperately to roll her eyes like you white privileged bitch go inside and shut up and sit down but she just fixes her stare and she just says go inside they will help you and I know she's thinking I'm not losing my job off of F, you know, with this crazy lady so I'm fine okay so I go inside and meanwhile it's very quiet there's nobody in there it's like a little ante room they have a sign like at a car wash it says we guarantee you won't wait more than five minutes I'm like this is my kind of hospital and I have the good insurance they're gonna take care of me this is what it's all about yes okay so they intake in five minutes I'm like they keep their word they put the band on they take my symptoms down they she says okay now go into the emergency room and I said well, I what was that she goes oh no 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 this is just triage so then I opened up the door and then there's about the same amount of people that are in this room tonight at this great risk show so let's say there are about 60 people there and they're all sitting very tightly in like round circles and there are those chairs that are bolted to the ground so you know people are sitting so close to each other if one person is like retching or heaving over everybody else in the row it's like the Titanic but with like gunshot wounds and germs and croupy children coughing and barking and I'm freaking out because I'm sitting on the right as a man he's like at least 400 pounds and he's like mewling like a little pussycat you know and it's very scary to see a very large man crying like like a little tiny girl and then on my left is a mother and her baby and he's got that green snot and he's oh it's very sad and awful and I'm the asshole in the middle who keeps wondering where the hell my Dr. Greenberg is so I keep going up to the nurses saying you know I'm not really supposed to be waiting because Dr. Greenberg is expecting me and she says I don't know who that is just sit down they all hate me at this point and I'm really know I'm in trouble because when you go to a hospital it's like a good restaurant you don't fuck with these people because if you do they will spit in your food and that could be hospital food I don't know so I know I'm I have to really I got to bring it down a notch so I try try to humor them and finally like it's gonna be four hours later they bring me into one of those little tiny cubby rooms with the curtain like at Zara you know when you're trying on that <laughs> awkward pair of slacks and all the cubbies are all next to each other and this is the only part I kind of like because I'm the one in the restaurant who's always listening to everyone else's conversations I find everybody endlessly fascinating so the woman on the left of me she apparently spilled I, I think a hot coffee out of a pot on her leg so she has a very bad burn and I want to know everything about it I'm like listening and and then on my right there are other people complaining about someone had like a an eye infection or it was she was all like oh there's so much to take in but now it wasn't like minding it was very distracted and nurses keep coming in and asking me if I need anything and I say yeah I need to see Dr. Greenberg and no one knows who he is finally another two hours pass meanwhile none of my family are there because I don't really tell them anything because I'm Sandy fucking Marks and I always get sick so what am I gonna tell them they're gonna get nervous if I tell them anything so I want to keep them out of the loop finally one of the interns comes in it's not Dr. Greenberg but he says we're gonna give you you're gonna have an MRI so you have to drink this and he brings in you know it looks like STP and it's in a tanker and he says just drink it all and I need to have control so I say can you bring me some ice you know and he looks at me he wants to roll his eyes but he doesn't he says fine so it takes like an hour to get that down I get the MRI and I get wheeled back in and meanwhile they're running a drip because they don't like me they want to shut me up so it's like tramadol or some something so getting a little quiet and they come back in and finally a man comes in in a white coat and stitched on the top it says 
Dr. Mark Greenberg. It's not, I thought at first it was like Kaiser Sose, like there was no Dr. Greenberg. This whole thing was just a ruse. And he says, hello, I'm Dr. Greenberg. And then I look and on his little thing, underneath the white coat, it says surgery. And I'm thinking, oi, I don't need to meet a man that is a surgeon. Why is he here? I have to get home. I have Thanksgiving with that turkey will not make itself. So I say, um, you're a surgeon. Well, okay, what's going on? He says, well, you're right. You do have diverticulitis. And for a minute, I'm thinking I'm a real smarty pants, you know, like, oh. He says, but that's not the problem. The problem is you have a large tear in your large intestine, and the contents of those aforementioned intestines have now spilled into your body. So you're very sick. You're actually toxic, which I could have told him. <laughs> Obviously. He said, and we need to perform surgery immediately. And I said, well, not, my family's not here. Can I go home and get like my better nightgown or like what? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is just, you gotta go right now. You could die if we don't perform surgery. I said, I thought you're being a little dramatic, but okay. So he says, all right, now the nurse comes in and she says, I've got to take your stuff. You can't go into surgery. Like, I'm thinking, like, where's Papa Ruth Gordon walking around with her pocketbook in the surgery? He says, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to give her your stuff so it's safe. I have my coat, my bag, my jewelry, you know, all of my, my goods and chattel. I'm all, you know, decked out. So, I have, so the, she brings a security guard in, and he has to catalog everything, which I didn't realize. So the scrub nurses are ready. The surgeon's ready. They cleared a room because this is an emergency. And he's... He's flipping through my wallet, and he's pulling each thing out, and all of a sudden, this dude's become Marie Kondo. <laughs> he's saying, he says, why do you have an expired Lord & Taylor gift card? <laughs> what? And then he pulls out another one, and he goes, do you need three American Expresses? It's like, wait a minute, these are sparking my joy, so just put them all back. So anyway, he puts it all back, he takes everything, they rush me up, Meanwhile, now they're really running the Valium because now I'm being very pleasant, which is not really necessarily my thing. They wheel me up and they get me right in front of, you know, they call it a theater. Let's face it, folks. A surgical room is not a theater. You know, you know there's not like, James Corden is not doing a Cats impression in there. It's nothing theatrical. I see a peak, I look in, I'm not that out yet. And it's fucking freezing. It's like Dexter's Playroom. They have all the tools out. There's like a, like a hacksaw and a parasaw and a drill bits and it's all lined up. They're very neat. It's all very neat and tidy. It's obviously clean. And right before Dr. Greenberg wheels me in, as I'm going out, he's not stupid. He says, okay, I'm going to take out about a foot of your intestine. I'm five fucking feet tall. And I don't, you know, I don't think about it going, you know. He goes, and you're going to have a colostomy. I know. A colostomy, and if you don't know what that is, good, you shouldn't. Because I've been making jokes about this since I'm like nine. Like, my bag will match my shoes, like an idiot. <laughs> Obviously, Karma is a bitch because he's telling me, and I say, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm thinking, because I'm saying if I can work, she's not going to do that. He says, yeah, you have to, because if you don't, you'll be dead by the time we get in there. So I, I say, okay, because I'm also stoned. So they wheel me in, they put me out. They do their business, they do the thing, they get me in recovery. I'm so stoned on Delauden, I don't know where I am. I think I'm like at Michael Jackson's Neverland, I don't know. There's like bells and whistles going on. I'm all bandaged up, I don't deal with it yet. They wheel me into an intensive care, and I'm in a room, this is right before Thanksgiving, I'm in a room that's really small, but it has a big 
window staring out at all the staff. So it looks like I'm like that soccer mom who's like getting a cruller at breakfast, you know, and she's having an order on, like she's ordering through the window. That's what it looks like. And I keep thinking somebody's going to drive through and ask for a Diet Coke. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm there for days and days with my family eating only like um, green. They only allow you to have green or like yellow jello. You can't have anything red because God forbid they should think you're like bleeding out or something. I don't know. Not if it's good. But you deal with it, and I'm too afraid to deal with this yet. So finally, it's like the fourth day, and I have to deal with this. So they pull it all off, and they send a special nurse who teaches you how to deal with your new situation, because your ass is out of business. You're now operating from a thing called a stoma, which is here, and it's this big. It's, I think they pull something out of your, I guess, stomach. They pull it out, and then they attach it here, and it's bright red. So it looks like, you know, if Russia does something really bad, that horrible, like, short-fingered man who runs our country is going to push my stomach button. Like, it looks like a, it really does look like that. And it's very frightening to see. And then they train me. They put like a, it looks like an Electrolux bag on it because that's what t takes care of the business. But this is what happens. It's so fucked up. So let's say you have like, I don't know, um, a meatloaf hero or something. And you had maybe you wash it down with a Diet Coke. And then the stoma winks at you. Like, I got this girl. I know what we got to do. Like, you don't feel it. But it's telling you, it's time. Okay, let the party roll. Let's rock and roll, like next door. So they, you know, they teach me how to do it, and I'm so resistant because it's really bad, and I don't want to do it. And the nurses keep saying, it's going to be reversed. This isn't forever. You have to get over yourself. They're trying to be polite because it's a service business, still a hospital. So finally, I get it together, and it's the last day while I'm there. And believe me, this is rough week, and I was stoned the whole time. And my family's there with me, thank God. We had Thanksgiving there, it was fine. So the last day, this apparition comes in. He's a young resident, and he's very, very handsome, and very, very young. And I look at his name, and I think I could be stoned, but I'm fairly certain his name is, and I am not lying, Dr. Jew. That was his name. His name was Dr. Joshua Jew. J-U-E. And I thought, I have died and gone to heaven. And it's just me, Dr. Jew. And he was there to like, like sew me in, like make sure I was all bandaged up and send me on my way. It was like Dr. Paradise. And it was unbelievable. The whole experience was unbelievable. And I went home and I healed. And thank God. On Valentine's Day, I got the best gift when I had that shit worked out because it really was not fun. It was hard. You know, like, the, I mean, there were certain good points. Like, if I were on an elevator and I knew you didn't hold it for me and I still got on and I needed to really do something and I wanted to, like, do a Dutch oven, you know, I could do that and you would not know. You would not know that that's what I was doing. So I, there was certain power in that, but believe me, I was thrilled that this thing got handled. And I'd love to tell you, I really would. In a perfect world, if I were a better person, but I'm not. I mean, my mother used to always say that I did everything ass backwards. She, if she were alive now, she'd say, see, I told you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a great person. I'm an asshole. So I'd like to say that I became like better or more spiritual or I, like the air smells better or I like people. No, I'm still the same idiot. I really am, I'm the same idiot. 
And there is only one thing that I truly miss about this whole experience. I had this one superpower that I don't think many of you have ever had, which was that once I was repaired, even though when I still had it, I would go and perform like four nights a week all over New York, whoring myself out, having the time of my life, because that was like my healing process. But while I was doing it, on any given night, what the audience didn't know was that I was, I was basically, you know, multitasking. <laughs> you have no idea how freeing it is. It's like being that astronaut who drove across country in a diaper. <laughs> I've been out there telling my dumbass stories and taking a dump at the same time. <laughs> it's fabulous. So I don't necessarily recommend it, but was really wasn't that terrible? Thank you. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is the Derek Trucks Band behind me now, and we just heard from Sandy Marks, who you can find on Instagram at SandyMarks3. Folks, have you ever wanted to share an anecdote on the show? One of those super short stories, like the one that Mark Abbott shared on today's episode, stories that focus mostly on just one incident. Well, now everything you need to know about pitching us your anecdotes is at risk-show.com slash anecdotes. So get on over there and follow us on our socials. 
We're at Risk Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. The Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook is a great place to talk about the podcast with fellow fans, as is our subreddit at Risk Podcast. We have 15% off everything at the Risk Store from April 29th through May 3rd. You just go to risk-show.com slash shop. For that, all our merch. And if you're interested in hiring me personally for storytelling training, I am at kevinallison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. find on Instagram at Sandy Marks three. And what else do I have to say? I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? Do you I didn't think so.